By the time Coy Mathis was four years old, he knew one thing was for sure, that he wasn't a boy. That's the opening statement from a Rolling Stone article in 2013 about a child in Colorado who was convinced that his physical body didn't match his true identity. His parents were confused at first, but over time they accepted Coy's professed gender, and soon Coy's closet was filled with pink dresses, and his parents got involved in a legal battle over Coy's access to the girls' restroom at school. Now, stories like these are becoming commonplace now, very commonplace. Some of you here this evening may be witnessing firsthand uh, these things where you live and where you work. In fact, there are an estimated 700,000 people in the U.S. who identify as transgender. That is, they claim a gender identity different from the sex they were assigned at birth. Okay? Now, transgenderism in recent years has permeated the news in debates about bathroom bills, workplace policies, school locker rooms, right? But in all the flurry of this media... I do want us to remember that this is ultimately about real people, right? So sometimes we only think about these in terms of how we're reading the news and the political debates and feeling like, you know, as Christians, the biblical worldview is under attack. And that is certainly true. But let's remember that the people involved in all of this are real people. They're souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. And they are created in God's image, so, what does the Bible have to say to those who feel like exiles in their own bodies? And what do we as believers say to people we love if they transition to a different gender identity? So that's what we're going to talk about this evening. First, we're going to think a little bit about the Bible's teaching on gender and the human body. And then we're going to consider some implications about how to love those we know who are experiencing gender confusion. Now, another note as we begin. Today, we're not talking primarily about homosexuality, though that is certainly a related issue. There are several biblical texts that speak directly to the sinfulness of homosexual acts that we won't cover this morning. That could be a whole different class. We're going to focus more narrowly on the question of gender identity. What it means to be created, male or female, how it could be that some people feel their body to not be a gift but instead a prison, and how all of us as sinful people can find hope in Jesus Christ. So we're going to start at the very beginning and with this very fundamental biblical truth. We read in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, Male and female, he created them. By the way, of course, if you don't have this, feel free to grab at the notes. Then in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Last week, we stressed that men and women are 100% equal in dignity, value, and worth before God. And yet at the same time, we also learned that we should unashamedly recognize the biological difference between men and women as a wonderful part of our Creator's design. With sexually differentiated bodies, God chose to exhibit His image in men and women and doing so in different complementary ways. 
in the goodness of God's design, Genesis 2.25 describes how Adam and Eve were fully at home with God, with one another, and also perfectly fully at home and comfortable in their God-given gendered bodies. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So there was no gender dysphoria. There was no internal conflict. There was no discontentment with the way God had made them. It was glorious. It is important to acknowledge that human sexuality, this is like extremely important to acknowledge. So if you, in fact, if you, almost, if you only hear one thing, hear this. Actually, I can't say that. There's a lot of things I want you to say here. But it's important to acknowledge that human sexuality, being male or female, is an objective, biological, binary trait determined for each person by God himself. Okay? What David says in Psalm 139 is true of everybody. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made as either a male or a female. There is no in-between. Okay? So, how, I, how might we summarize the Christian view of gender? Okay? How, how might we summarize that? Well, our gender isn't just psychological. It certainly involves our body, our physical sex. That's partly how I'm using the term gender, to refer to the fact that God made you, male or female, including your physical body, as a man or as a woman, with hormones, sex chromosomes, with flesh and blood, you embody the image of God on earth physically as either a male or a female. That is certainly part of gender, and that's how the scripture would refer to gender. In addition to our fundamental physical differences, God has also given men and women distinct dispositions and inclinations, which we're going to discuss throughout the course. There is such a thing as masculinity and femininity, as we've seen in Genesis 2 through 3, and how those proclivities and inclinations become more formalized through roles in the home, Ephesians 5, and roles in the church. So 1 Timothy 2, 3. So we have, you know, how, how is gender to be understood in a Christian view? There's, there's a physical aspect of it. There's God-given dispositions and inclinations. And then thirdly, the biblical view also recognizes that there are also cultural expressions of gender that are value-neutral and they do change from era to era. Example, men in the Enlightenment wore tights, makeup, and wigs. Okay? That was normal for men then. If it were, it, It's just not normal for men today. If you think it is, let's talk afterwards. So, today they don't. Okay? So, clothes, hairstyles, colors. The Bible doesn't spell out what, and this is important, the Bible doesn't spell out what women or men should wear, but it is significant to note that in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul does expect men and women to present themselves as such, to present themselves as either men or women through their appearance, even in, in how they dress and how they show themselves in ways that make sense to their particular culture. So in your particular culture, God does 
assume and expect for you to clothe yourself and dress yourself how a man in that particular culture would understood to be presented as a man and how a woman in that culture would be understood to be presented as a woman. So there are cultural expressions of gender that are not necessarily what the Bible says has to be done, but in whatever culture you happen to be in, the Bible does expect for you to present yourself as either a man or a woman in ways that that culture understands. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, so let me just take a minute and contrast this with the secular view. Okay, so the secular view is increasingly becoming prominent. Um, you know, a few years ago, this a few years ago this class would have seemed ridiculous. Do you realize that? Just even five years ago, this class would have seemed almost ridiculous. I remember giving an illustration or an introduction to, uh, I think it was the first Timothy sermon series, um, where I was talking about a Time art, a Time magazine article. That was, that was speaking of gender not being binary. And I remember looking at that thinking, that's ridiculous. Uh, and even saying that in the, in the introduction. And it landed in such a way where everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's totally ridiculous. I would need to change that introduction at this point. It's, it's old at this point because everybody is hearing the argument that gender is not binary. And, in fact, I think even Christians are struggling with a little bit like kind of wanting to be helped, made sure on this. So... Let's just contrast the biblical view of gender okay, to the secular view of gender, which has become very prominent. So many say that your sex uh, is only biological. You either have male or female chromosomes, anatomy, and hormones. Okay? Gender, on the other hand, they would say, is only psychological. It pertains to your inner sense of identity. It is socially defined. And so it includes things like behavior, appearance, clothing, roles, etc. Many theorists argue that there is no necessary correlation between your physical sex and your gender. Because physical sex is merely biological, but gender, they argue, is psychological. Do you see that? Okay. Now, in this, they diverge from the biblical view. You need to know that. In this, that is a divergence from the biblical worldview. That's not a biblical view. A recent article in Slate... Put it this way, quote, gender is a kind of performance, something we actively create from the limited cultural materials we encounter, end quote. And the writer asserted that babies and toddlers are, quote, genderless. And this view makes gender radically subjective, wouldn't you say? So it's radically subjective. It's known only to the individual person. And this view certainly opens up the possibility of having the wrong body for one's true gender. Make sense? Others report a gender identity that doesn't correspond to masculine or feminine at all, but is somewhere in between the two. Right? So a sliding scale. Uh, all of this can be summed up with a couple of popular slogans, such as, quote, anatomy isn't destiny, end quote. Has anybody heard that? I've actually not heard it. You've heard it? Okay. You've heard it? Okay. Anatomy isn't destiny. Or, quote, sexual orientation determines who you want to go to bed with, and gender identity determines who you want to go to bed as. Has anybody heard that? Okay. Yeah. All right. So this way of thinking asserts that your sex, your sexual orientation, 
whom you're attracted to, and your gender identity, who you understand yourself to be, are all separate and they're not necessarily correlated. Even though it might be scandalous to say this in our culture today, we absolutely have to be clear. The Bible 100% absolutely, categorically, no questions asked, reject, no questions asked, the Bible rejects this understanding. Okay? Our gender being created, either male and female, and being man or woman is a gift from God. It is a holistic gift. It includes our body, our sense of identity, and the dispositions and roles to which God calls us. Okay? So let me just pause there for a second and open it up for any questions you have on just the things that we've covered so far. Yes? I have no doubt that that is happening. I don't know of it specifically, but I believe you. Missy saying there are people raising babies. Yep. They bees, not babies, but they bees. Keying off of the genderless pronoun them they. Sarah, question? Yes. First Corinthians eleven. It's saying you should present yourself as the gender you are uh, such that the culture that you're in understands you to be that gender. Paul wants women to dress like women, and he wants men to dress like men. And what that looks like changes from culture to culture. There can be a cultural appropriation of that biblical principle, but the biblical principle is consistent apart from cultural change. Any other questions so far? Abby? Let's talk about that at the end. Okay, let me keep going. Feel free to just be thinking about questions. I'm going to pause a couple of times and give us opportunity. So all of this leads us to a natural question, though. Why do some people seem to experience distress or inner conflict about their gender? And that brings us to the next point. In Genesis 3, because of Adam and Eve's sin, God curses the ground and death enters the world. Therefore, the fall, mankind's rebellion against God, is at the root of every physical and spiritual ailment that afflicts humanity. So far, so good. We understand that. So first, let's just talk about how the fall affects our bodies. We know that sickness and death are results of the curse. In conversations about sexuality and gender, 
Sometimes the question gets raised about individuals who have ambiguous or intersex anatomy. That's both male and female characteristics biologically. Statistics tell us that about one in 1,500 children may be born with some rare disorder of sex development or intersex trait. Okay? The Christian can reply that this rare and challenging condition, like other physical and genetic disorders, stem ultimately from the fall. Therefore, doctors and pastors need to apply wisdom in counseling such individuals, showing love and care for those created in the image of God, and shepherd them through that situation. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about transgenderism specifically. And transgenderism is not dealing in, in ambiguous anatomy situations. Those are extremely rare. We're talking about someone who was clearly born male or female and yet doesn't feel that way on the inside. This is where the debate usually comes in, right? As Christians, that's why we have got to remember that the fall affects not only our bodies, but our inner persons as well, right? The Bible calls the, what the Bible calls the heart of a person, Romans 1.18, that men and women, what do they do? They suppress the truth about God because of the fall. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And in verse 21, men and women do not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts are darkened. Romans 1 and Romans 8 teach us that nature, as we experience it, is not nature as God intended it. Therefore, and this is very key, I hope you can lock down on this, just because something feels natural in a fallen world does not mean it's right. Okay. In fact, the fall has distorted our ability to perceive creation correctly, including our self-perception. So Jeremiah 17.9 laments, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Outside of Christ, all of us view ourselves inaccurately in various ways, right? We, we even still view ourselves inaccurately in Christ. What did Tom say at the Spiritual Gifts Conference? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to in regards to the spiritual gift. Don't overestimate your giftedness or abilities, right? So even as Christians, we tend to, <laughs> we can view ourselves wrongly. Um, um, maybe you don't. Um, maybe that's just me. Um, okay. So there is a way that seems right to a man, scriptures say, but the end is the way of death. Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, seems natural, seems like the way it is, seems obvious. This is the way I feel. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 14:12. Our hearts aren't infallible. So we have to listen to God. We have to listen to God to find out who he says we are. And that is who we are, not who we think we are. Okay. And while I can't presume to know everything going on in the mind of someone who identifies as transgender, there is clear biblical precedent for having deep confusion in one's heart about his or her own identity. And since we all have distorted views of ourselves in various ways, 
This means that we should be able to respond with patience and gentleness to those experiencing tension about their gender. And we also know that by God's grace and power, people really can change. So let's just say that. By God's grace and power, people really can change. Through a greater knowledge of God and his word, we can grow in having a more accurate understanding of ourselves. So remember that. Through a greater knowledge of God and his word, we can grow in having a more accurate understanding of ourselves. All of us who are trusting in Christ just can say amen to that, right? So on the other hand, we also have to be clear. So we, we, we can be clear that, that people can grow and change. But on the other hand, we have to be clear that rejecting one's God-given gender is sin. Okay? So please be clear on that, Christian. Rejecting your God-given gender is sin. Sin always has consequences. Like all sin, it will lead to pain. It will lead to despair. And ultimately, it will lead to hell. And what a lie of the devil, right? That, 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 that's a spin on this. And I don't doubt this, that the seven-year-old boy who thinks he's a girl and who's being encouraged by the universe to embrace that identity because he thinks it's going to make him happy, that's actually temporarily, from a, just a temporal standpoint, it's going to make him more miserable. Okay? <laughs> Kids need stability and they need outside uh, standards to be applied to them, not their own little hearts that we don't even trust them to take Tylenol left of themselves uh, to determine who they think they are. They need outside standards to tell them who they are. Okay, But the lie of the devil is that's going to make them happy when it's actually not. It's going to lead to pain, despair, and ultimately it will lead to hell. To reject your God-given sex is to reject God's lordship as creator over your life. So we've got to resist the world's logic, which is... How can something be wicked if no one else seems to get hurt? Isn't that the logic that's out there today? In regards to all sorts of stuff, but certainly in regards to this, the world's logic is, how can something be wrong or wicked if nobody gets hurt? Right? So, we have to answer, disobeying God is always evil. That's what we have to answer. Disobeying God is always evil. Transgender ideology teaches us to think of our body as a blank canvas. Okay? So you can do with it whatever you want. But the Bible's teaching on creation and fall shows us that we should see our bodies not as blank slates, but as flawed masterpieces. I think that's so helpful. We should not see our bodies as blank slates. We should see them as flawed masterpieces. So just think of your favorite painting. Imagine that it had become broken or distorted. Would you erase the Mona Lisa and turn it into a sunset? You know? Uh, Would you just kind of recreate it as you see fit? No, you would try to understand the artist's original creation, and you'd try to seek to restore it to live with the grain of how the designer has created it to be. So, what is our hope as we consider the fall? So all of this has come from the fall. The fall has affected our bodies. The fall has affected our psychology, the way we think. What's our hope as we consider the fall? You know this. It is the Sunday school answer, and don't be afraid to shout it out. Jesus came and took on human flesh. He lived as a man, fully embodied, fully human. He came to redeem sinners from all the effects of the fall, no matter what type of fallen self-perception has defined us. 
So let's not forget that Jesus was known as a friend of prostitutes and sinners. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick. For those of us uh, who, like all of us, had rejected God in outwardly obvious ways. And I love how Paul puts it in Titus 3. This is who Jesus came for. Quote, for we ourselves, Christian, you have to put yourself in this category. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Just like the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, we are actually slaves to our sin, even though we think we're free from our sin. That's the devil's trick. We're enslaved when we think we're free. Talked about it this morning. Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Jesus, the perfect man, came to die in our place to give new life and forgiveness to all who repent and believe. And then he rose from the dead. And that leads us to one other uh, theological point that I want to make. The gospel boldly declares that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. In his risen body, he was still a man. Okay? And all men and women united to him by faith will rise bodily too. Okay? So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses the image of a seed being buried in the ground and then rising up as a glorious plant. In other words, uh, although our resurrection body will be totally better than our current body, there will also be continuity between our identity here and then a new creation to come. God created us, male and female, in his image before the fall, okay, pre-fall, and he said it is good, and we will have, and we will image him perfectly in heaven. So if we were created in his image as male and female before the fall, and we will perfectly image him in heaven, this means we will still have our God-given gender in our resurrection bodies, okay? I think that's really exciting. And I think it's, a, it's another powerful argument. Not that you need any more powerful arguments. The Bible's incredibly clear. Um, but it's another powerful argument uh, of, of why this is just so bad uh, to reject your God-given identity. And another reason why we should say this is because in contrast to that teaching, a key pillar of transgender thought is that one's internal sense of gender identity trumps their physical anatomy. Don't you see that all the time, right? So one's inner psychological identity absolutely trumps the physical anatomy. And it is a classic case of mind over matter, just like Greek Gnosticism of old. The person is reduced to two components, psychological identity and physical sex. And the psychological component is given greater priority... And when you come to think about it, people who do this are in some sense trying to play God. Okay? So people who do, do this are in some sense trying to play God, exercising sovereignty over their own existence. And that is really bad. Okay? So when you try to run things, it goes badly. Just let God run things. It will go better. Okay? 
But Christianity says we do not need to pit the soul against the body in this way. God created us as united beings, body and soul. The resurrection of Jesus is God's signature endorsing to the fact that he sees the body as a core part of our human nature, both now and in the world to come. That shows us that the body is not merely an accessory, okay? The body is not merely a housing chamber for the soul. The body is actually part of who you are both now and in eternity. So, and we have this one final hope, right? On the final day, this is glorious. No child of God. So think about the particular struggle with sin that you have, right? And don't you anticipate and get excited about the reality that you will not struggle with that sin in a coming day? Isn't that just a glorious thought? I do, right? So just know that in that coming day, there will be no child who will ever experience any disconnect between his body and his sense of identity. There will be no more confusion. There will be no more struggle. And the resurrection of Jesus helps us point our hope to that day. We are a resurrection people longing for the age to come. Okay? So let me just pause there and give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you might have. We're really kind of reflecting about how the resurrection also helps us to think about the importance of gender there. And we were also covering, let me see what we covered since before the last time for questions, uh, how the fall has distorted our body and our mind. Any questions about that stuff, Carol? Currently, when we die, uh, our body goes into the ground, um, either cremated or in a, a coffin, but either way it's going to decompose anyway, so it's going to eventually be li like it's cremated, but in that coffin, right? And our spirit goes to be with the Lord. So Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what theologians call the intermediate state. Probably not a great name because it makes it sound like it's just halftime. Um, but the reality is when you die right now, if I were to drop dead tonight, uh, I would be buried, but my soul, my spirit would go and be with Jesus. My body's here, but my spirit would be there. Now, when Jesus comes back, do you remember what 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 tell us? Tell us that those who are in the grave will not precede those who are alive at that point in time. So those in the grave, whether cremated or just in a coffin, are going to come out of that grave. Their spirit and their body are going to be reunited before the presence of the Lord, and they are going to forever live as embodied people, men or women, into all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. Yes. A glorified body. But with continuity to this one, exactly. It's like it's like BJ 2.0. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what Kristen 2.0 is going to look like. I still don't understand how marriage isn't happening in the new heavens and the new earth. Like, I think that's going to be distracting. That girl, I was with her for a long time. She was awesome. Uh, 
I don't miss her somehow. I love Jesus. I, I, I don't know. just don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. But God says that's what's going to happen. It's very confusing. Sorry, that's not helpful. We're still going to be gendered. So, and we know that because Jesus is still a man, right? Uh, he's still a man, and he's seated at the right hand of God in a body. So the continuity is that it's still me. It's still you. I'm still a man. You're still a woman. Now, I don't know how it's all going to work and, and look like. And, I, I, you know, are we going to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Are we going to burp and have, you know, gas? I don't know. It won't smell if we do, but I don't know, you know. I just, I don't know. Um, but I know that it's, you know, will there be mosquitoes? I'm not sure. Um, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the continuity is just a reality that it really is me. It, it's really Jesus there. Like, like the same Jesus that walked on the earth is the Jesus that's at the right hand of a physical uh, uh, at the right hand of God, right now, on a throne. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Any other questions on that? So how the fall has affected our, our bodies and our, and our psychology and our thinking, and then also how the resurrection plays into the reality that gender is a gift. And it is a problem. Right. Oh, yeah.
Yeah, their particular sin. Oh, that's good. Good. Sonia, and then we'll go on. Well, here we go. Um, so I would just say I think we just want to keep our foundation being a biblical foundation and we want to recognize that our thoughts and our feelings uh, are known by God and analyzed by God in terms of whether they are righteous or not. And so if we are having feelings that are not in accordance with God's word, whatever feelings or desires they may be, we need to identify those as either righteous or not and then repent of them. So, so I would identify it as sin uh, that needs to be repented of uh, and you, that's not to say that you may not be tremendously helped by excellent counseling. It's not an either-or. But we do need to identify and think about these things primarily in terms of what the Bible has to say about them, not external psychological categories. I think I need to go on just for timing. Um, and, then we're, and then we'll probably have some time afterwards. Okay? So... How should, we, uh, how should we show the love of Christ in this world that celebrates gender nonconformity? Here are five suggestions. Uh, number one, seek wisdom. So, brothers and sisters, we are not called to walk this road alone. Study the word together. Ask the elders for counsel. Read good books and articles like the ones that are on your handout. Your job may be asking you to carry out policies that you disagree with. Right? So should you protest? Should you implement the policy but with some sort of dissent? Should you quit the job? You know, I don't know. Much is going to depend on your job, your situation, and it actually might even depend on how the policy is worded and how they're asking you to implement it. So you just need to seek wise Christians for advice. There's no blanket Christian answer to that. And I think it's going to increasingly just become more and more complicated. Okay? Uh, second, I would say adopt a posture of compassion so I think this is important because I think we're increasingly... So I think there's two ways that we can respond when we feel like we're under attack from the world, which we are, not denying that. But we can either just get mad about it and, 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 and bomb every bad idea on Facebook, right? Um, we, we can do that. Uh, or we can, we can remember that these are people and try to adopt a posture of compassion. Um, and also, I, I want to say I'm not advocating being silent on Facebook and not standing up for righteousness, even if it may be offensive. But sometimes I think the things that we're posting on Facebook are just a reflection of us being mad about the reality that we just feel like we're under attack all the time from a secular world, which we are. But I don't think that's necessarily the best way to deal with that. Okay, So I think, I think you want to adopt a posture of compassion. So when we think about somebody who identifies as transgender, uh, here's a way you can adopt a posture of compassion. 
remember, there is a whole host of factors that need to be taken into consideration. A person's sins, family dynamics, pain or abuse inflicted by others um, are just a few of those. That's not to say that they're right to embrace uh, an alternate gender identity. Nobody gets a free pass on sin uh, because they feel like their sinful proclivities are natural to them or, or they've had a difficult circumstance growing up. But no matter what, we, we do need to have compassion on those who are going through what, what is truly a radically confusing experience. So I think we want to have compassion on them. And remember, too, that many people who embrace an alternate gender identity, they have been sinned against in very terrible ways. So they may endure memories of verbal abuse or worse, um, you know, what they, uh, for, for things they wore or, or how they behaved. Uh, and so we, we do want to share God's disapproval of any bullying or vitriol that has been hurled at human beings created in his image who deserve respect and dignity, right? So just, so I grew up in Texas, right? So just in a very conservative place, right? So I don't think it was right if the kid who was gay got beat up and made fun of, right? That's not right. Um, so it, it's wrong for him to express, uh, for, for him to be gay. That's wrong. You need to identify that. But, you know, in Texas where we kind of just, you know, just kind of a manly, manly, you know, universe, uh, you know, we could treat that person with a lot of unkindness. Well, that's not right. That's not good. We don't want to do that. Um, we want to treat everybody with respect and dignity in reg- whatever, they, whatever they're doing. We want to still treat them with respect and dignity. And why? Because they're created in God's image and therefore worthy of respect and dignity regardless of what they're doing. Doesn't mean we don't tell them they're wrong. We can still do that and we still should do that. Don't embrace the world's posture which says, you can't tell me I'm wrong. That in and of itself is a microaggression. I don't know if you've heard that. I'm learning all these new words and phrases that are struggling. I'm struggling with anger because I think they're so dumb. Um, but you know, don't adopt the world's posture that says, if you say something that is offensive, then it's therefore a microaggression and you're wrong for just even saying that. Don't, don't adopt that. That's, that's a bunch of garbage. But do remember... Uh, that you want to treat people with respect and dignity because they're created in the image of God. So particularly, let's say if a family member announces to you that he or she is transgender, let me just encourage you to make your first response an attitude of love. Hug them. Tell them that you value and care for them as a person. Beginning with a response like this does not endorse the person's decision. It conveys our commitment to love them in spite of how they're tragically rejecting God's design. That does lead to the next point, though. If we know someone well, okay, that informs us, and, and that person who we know well informs us that they intend to live as transgender. This is so simple. We need to pray. We need to pray for an opportunity to speak the truth to them in a way that's appropriate to the relationship. Okay? You speak the truth to a sibling or a cousin differently than you speak the truth to a stranger on the street. But we need to pray for an opportunity and for boldness to speak the truth to them in a way that's appropriate to that relationship. And then I would urge you to be quick to listen and try to understand what has brought them to the point of adopting a new gender identity. And when prayer and listening are present, when prayer and listening are present, then I want to encourage you to boldly share not just how you understand our gender to be a gift from God, but most importantly, the good news of redemption in Jesus Christ. Okay? 
And make sure that they understand that you know you're the worst sinner that you know. Okay? Now, at some point, you may need to talk about some tricky details. So, if the person is taking on a new name and a new pronoun, should you use them? Right? I think it all depends. A person's name can usually have more flexibility between genders. Example, I've known men named Leslie and women named Chris or men named Skylar. He brought that up himself. I'm not throwing him under the bus. Um, but when you think about uh, pronouns, this can be more difficult because him and her are clearly in reference to a gender. I think, of course, you want to show respect and be able to maintain the relationship, but you do want them to understand that you do not wish to endorse their decision through the language that you use. Now, as Christians, we just need wisdom here. We just need wisdom here. We want to avoid unnecessary provocation while at the same time recognizing we need to uphold the truth about gender. But I also want to remind you that our calling isn't primarily about gender and sexuality. It's primarily a call to die to self, to submit to Jesus Christ, and then experience the joy of walking in that life. What is most offensive about Christianity isn't the Bible's teaching on gender. It's actually the fact that we are all sinners who deserve God's wrath and can be saved only by trusting Jesus who was crucified on the cross. Rosa, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, a formerly practicing lesbian who converted to Christ, says something very profound. Quote, she says this, I wasn't saved out of homosexuality. I was saved out of unbelief. End quote. All of us are born sinners, and therefore all of us need a new birth. So we don't say get yourself fixed and then come to the cross, right? We say come to the cross and Jesus will begin to put you back together, right? Uh, Russell Moore has said that local churches need to be ready to receive the refugees from the sexual revolution. When the promise of gender fluidity doesn't deliver on the happiness people seek, will our church be ready to receive them with open arms? As you pray... Imagine that God could lead your transgender friend to repentance, and that could be, um, well, I, I, do, I do think it's very encouraging. Think of the people that you know who were just totally lo as lost as a goose in a snowstorm, okay? But now those people are Christians. And, and, and not only Christians, those people are really just maturing in their faith, serving in the local church, maybe, maybe elders in the local church. As you pray... Uh, and, and speak with that person that you know that is transgender, you know, just just remind yourself of that hope and think about that. It, it may be that this is a person like Rosaria Butterfield who's going to not only repent of this and reject it. Well, she was a lesbian, not transgender, but, you know, same idea holds. Um, not only did she she reject that lie of the devil and 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 come to Christ and repent of it, but now she's writing these incredibly helpful books for us on how to minister to people um, in sin, lost in sin. So just, just remember that hope there. Um, and then that relates to our next point. For any sinner, including our transgender friends, repentance is hard. Okay? For any sinner, including our transgender friends, repentance is hard. When you trust Christ as Lord, you are declaring a war against your sin as an enemy. And yet, praise God that repentance is also a gift from God as his power is able to produce great, real, 
change in us. But I would also say that pastoral wisdom is needed here to determine what repentance may look like in any individual situation. It could be complex. For the transgender person who has received hormone therapy or had body-altering surgery, pastors are going to need to work with medical professionals to determine the safest and best way for that person to embrace their God-given gender. But when I say realistic repentance, I do want to be clear what I'm getting at. We can't promise that any particular temptation or feeling or dysphoria will instantly go away when somebody becomes a believer. All things are certainly possible with God. Those of us with a history of sin and greed or gossip or lust may find that our old habits of mind still feel somewhat innate to us even while we walk in Christ. In the same way, we shouldn't hold out false hopes that becoming a Christian will bring instant resolution to any experience of gender confusion. Right? It's possible to be in Christ, embrace one's God-given gender, and still feel a battle from within waiting for that day when we'll finally be glorified in, in the new heavens and new earth and renewed, Renee, like you were speaking of. Okay. Finally, let me just encourage us to persevere. Continue to, to, uh, to love and show love to family members or friends who disagree with you on gender and sexuality. God will be gracious to you. God will sustain you as you seek to hold to your convictions and pour yourself out in service and mercy to those. Um, you know, that's what Jesus did, right? He spoke the truth when it was unpopular, and he laid down his life for those who rejected him. So may we have the strength to love like he loved. So those are some principles. You may have questions you want to ask about maybe how those principles might be fleshed out. So opportunity for questions. We've got six minutes before seven. Questions on those principles or on anything that we've covered? Renee. In the name of love. In the name of love. Okay. Right. Right. It's the opposite. I know, I know.
Yeah, which is, which is all true, and it's all very good, and the tricky part comes down to, but as we want to talk about sin, but sin eventually gets specific, and that's then where the offense comes in. But the offense comes in, whether it's homosexuality, transgenderism, or lying, or pride, or greed, we still have, we, we have to zone in on that particular sin, whatever the particular sin is, we still have to zone in on it. Right. I would want to separate the two issues of uh, intersex anatomy, which is extremely statistically rare. I would want to separate that because there is some physical reality there where there is physical confusion. Okay? I want to separate that from what is really the issue, which is you are a man or a woman, but you don't feel like it and you don't want and you want to be something else. I would just want to separate the two. And I would just say, you can't use this to argue for this. That's a separate thing. We could talk about that. But that's not you, right? So you, you have the anatomy of a woman. So now what we need to talk about is what does, you know, what's obedience for you? So I would just separate the two. And then I would argue on the basis of the fall. And what I would, I would want to argue on the basis of you can't use your feelings or your sense of who you are. Uh, that can't be the determining factor in regards to who you are. Okay? Um, your feelings are flawed because of the fall. So just because you're desiring them doesn't make them right. We have to agree that whatever God says is right, and we can't define ourselves. We have to let him define us. And we can't let our feelings, the, the strength of them, be what convinces us that we're right. We have to recognize that our feelings are flawed because of the fall. However that particular conversation goes, that's the principle I would want to be arguing. Other questions?
Yeah. Is it is it sin when a man lusts after a woman in his heart? Jesus says it is. So, on the same logic, I would say it's sin when you're desiring in your heart to be a woman when you're a man. So it's not merely the acting of it. The acting of it is just the the full fr- the full bringing forth of the fruit of sin that was already in the heart. But it was sin in the heart, and you've got to identify it as sin in the heart, and you've got to uh, r- repent of that and just say, God, this I have to identify this. Even this feeling is wrong. It's a wrong feeling. Please help me to repent of it and continue to bring my thoughts captive to Christ, which is what Paul tells us that we have to do to bring our thoughts captive to Christ. Missy? That's right. That's good. Very true. Got time for one more? Actually, I don't, but I just want to give the opportunity for one more. Oh, so I haven't taken a question from Nikki yet, so I'm going to take it from Nikki. Right. Well, what do you? I guess what do you mean? What do you do? Like, what are you coming in? Are you are you um, coming into specific circumstances where you're just wondering? Okay. Here's how I have. I think much wisdom is needed here. I don't think there's a a clear defined right or wrong here. But here's kind of where I'm comfortable at the current time, is that. Um, uh, First of all, when I speak of that person, so we had somebody that we knew in our neighborhood, a um, girl that was transitioned to be a boy. Uh, I speak of that person in my own household just to reinforce sanity uh, as the girl, she, I call her she, and, uh, you know, 
Um, but if I happen to be out and about and see that person, I would call the person by the person's name that that, that person wants to be called by. I would just call them the name that the person wants to be called by. Um, uh, I would actually not use the pronoun. I would do everything possible to avoid using the pronoun. Uh, I do not want to bind anyone's conscience in that and say that you're wrong if you do, um, but I am I'm very uncomfortable personally using a pronoun of somebody, uh, you know, if calling a... I'm getting... My, my head is so mixed up thinking about the... <laughs> I think you know what I'm trying to say. So I just use the name of the person. Um, I think I think in regards to how you so I think as Christians we have to clearly say transgender is wrong like just that's just got to be a stake in the ground how you apply that in daily life in regards to like the specific questions of do you use a them they pronoun or her when it's actually a him I do think we need to give each other freedom of conscience one Christian may feel free to do that I don't really feel free to do that right now, but I can't say categorically that's wrong. I would want to just give that person freedom. But I would want to, I, I would just want to encourage you. I mean, the world's just going so fast in this direction. Um, just, you, I've told this to the youth, and I need to tell it to you. You need to become, you need to increasingly become comfortable being weird. Uh, you just have to increasingly become comfortable being weird, being uh, odd. And maybe even being despised. You just need to increasingly become okay with that, and remember that your Lord, the, the Lord you followed, was weird and despised. He was despised, um, but he was righteous. And so we just want to be okay being despised for the right reasons, right? We want to be okay being despised. Yes, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and her seeing the Christian life played out. Yeah, and hearing God's word. Right? Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't a confrontation about sin. I think in a way that she's 
Let me just officially close us down, but if you want to hang out and, and, and chat, you don't have to go anywhere we can, but I just want to close us down to be respectful of everybody's time. Lord, thanks so much for this time. Thank you for your word, and help us, Father, help us to be happy and confident exiles in a strange world that we're in. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.